Okay, we are back with the Kissing Cousins podcast. I am Jacob Lively. I am joined, as always, by my beloved cousin, Johnny. Hello, hello. And uh, today we are going to be discussing uh, primarily Bitcoin, but I, I believe at some point we will be discussing other cryptocurrencies. Um, for those of you that know me and Johnny well, uh, you'll at least know that I am a very outspoken advocate of Bitcoin, uh, not necessarily of other cryptocurrencies. And uh, Johnny, I, I don't fully understand your position, but uh, my understanding based on right now before we have this conversation is that you're somewhat the op- opposite, where you're more ske- skeptical of Bitcoin uh, and willing, more, more excited to embrace other cryptocurrencies. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that's correct. Um, but I'm also always interested. I guess one thing I like to say is that um, I feel like where I come from in this conversation is not very like online in terms of like what like a lot of like culture is around cryptocurrency i'm not right. part of that sure so um i i accept that patience to some of the things i think about when it comes to it because i'm not like on the cutting edge of um like bitcoin trading or like right. kind of like like there's like a lot of times when people talk to me about crypto some of it kind of goes over my head a little bit because I'm not like always online about it. So uh, I like to just like couch my like opinions in that disclaimer that I'm not exactly um, like an expert. Um, But I do think my perspective on it is one, like I don't hear from the regular old retail Bitcoin investor. So I think it's valuable to talk about, but I don't like to come in with like some like, strong authoritative position on anything yeah of course and it, yeah to, to make it perfectly clear neither do i um i uh, certainly know a lot maybe more about a lot more about bitcoin than the average person but i'm by no means a subject matter expert um i happen to have some close friends that are uh really closely involved with cryptocurrency development uh who work in you know like kyc and um crypto and securities trading so um i i have some knowledge that maybe the the average person wouldn't have access to and i'm also very interested in bitcoin in particular so um you know i've sort of done my research in that regard but i think a good a good place to start is just um i'm just going to give kind of a brief explanation of what bitcoin is exactly for anybody that's not at all familiar um and then i kind of want to pick your brain on what your impression of bitcoin is and what its intended use cases are from or, or what you perceive its intended use case or use cases to be um mm-hmm. because i think that's a as a point of entry i think that's where a lot of people kind of get mixed up and a lot of people have some fundamentally wrong ideas about bitcoin I, i'm not saying that you're one of them i just i'm that's something that i'm very yeah, curious no. about so um i'm going to go into kind of a, a brief history of bitcoin here um there are enough technical and uh, technological intricacies that that merit an entire Bitcoin literature, which does exist. Uh, So most of what I'm about to say is just going to be kind of a simplification of Bitcoin's foundation. So Bitcoin was proposed uh, in 2009 by an individual using the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, We do not know Satoshi's actual identity. That is by design. He he preferred to remain anonymous or pseudonymous. and something that's important to note is that this is 2009 is immediately after the US mortgage crisis. And although it's not explicitly mentioned in the white paper, um, which is sort of like the, the Satoshi's out, out, outlining of the fundamental principles of the Constitution. Of yeah, the, the Constitution <laughs> of Bitcoin is a great way to phrase it. Um, I don't think that the proposition of a trustless currency that is unbound and unfettered to traditional finance systems and central banks is a coincidence. Um, And I think that the timing of Bitcoin is just as important as the very existence of Bitcoin. Um, Just so just something to keep in mind as we discuss this. So I'll talk about that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be back. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, But Satoshi recognized an inherent issue in existing uh, currencies and payment systems, which is that they're all functionally trust-based uh, by merit of their reversibility. And because they're trust-based, they are susceptible to fraud, they're susceptible to bad faith actors, and they're especially susceptible to institutional pressures, uh, be they governmental pressures or financial institutional pressures or any, any other number of uh, pressures that any system that isn't completely insulated can be uh, subjected to. 
So one easily understood example of, of what I mean by reversibility is if you sell a good, uh, let's say you sell like a watch or something, I don't, I just, just a random thing, uh, and you receive payment for that watch via PayPal or some other similar payment system, even if the recipient receives the good in the expected condition, um, they can initiate a reversal of the transaction like a refund. And if that refund is successful, then they've just received a product without having to pay for it at the cost of the vendor. Now, obviously we have processes in place to address this, but the very possibility of that occurrence and similar occurrences then necessitates um, what some could be considered intrusive identification protocols to protect users of that payment system. Um, and in a very real sense, then your identity becomes collateral for your transactions, which opens the door to other breaches of trust like identity theft. Um, you know, if, if I give PayPal my personal information, my private banking information, and then their database is breached in some way, then I've just become vulnerable just by merit of using their payment system. So Satoshi's proposition is the solution to this is a currency, which uh, to directly quote the white paper is based on cryptographic proof instead of trust, which allows any two willing parties to transact directly with each other without the need for a trusted third party. No escrow, no nothing like that. Um, Bitcoin also uh, incidentally invalidates the need for a central banking authority to mint and validate currency. Um, and again, this is gonna be an oversimplification, but I think it's important to understand how Bitcoin is made. Um, each transaction of on the Bitcoin network is validated and approved by each individual uh, or node running the Bitcoin software rather than a single central authority. Um, and then those transactions are processed by a group of users called miners, uh, miners, not miners, to quote Louis C.K., uh, <laughs> who, who donate processing power um, to the network. And a given number of transactions produces a block of transactions, which when completed, when, when all those transactions are processed and validated, is added to a record of uh, historically completed and verified transactions called the blockchain. Uh, and then again, once that block is completed, it rewards the miners with a set amount of newly minted Bitcoin. So um, that's, that's sort of the underlying, the, the fundamentals of Bitcoin. Again, it's much more complicated um, the, in, in terms of the technological solutions and uh, the evolution of, of Bitcoin, but uh, there's better resources for that than myself. Uh, I would I'm going to talk more about that too. I think, well, maybe not that mechanics of the mining, but the this production of money is going to be a big part of what I'm talking about too. So we'll get some more. Okay. That. All right. So that brings us everything from here on is kind of going to be free form. So what I want to ask you first, uh, what, what is Bitcoin to you? Like what, what do you believe the fundamental proposition of Bitcoin is? What problems, if any, do you think it solves? Hmm. Well, I, to answer that, I kind of have to talk about currency in general first. Like fiat currency. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's, sure, go ahead. So for me, I was going to start this whole thing off by saying, um, uh, let's take the U.S. dollar for example. Let's look at like the history of the dollar. Yeah. So your one dollar bill, your ten dollar bill, is a Federal Reserve note that. Let's say back in um, before the Great Depression, the early uh, 1900s, you could exchange that note um, to the Fed and get gold back, mm -hmm. right? And that uh, note is legal tender, so it's uh, it has a legal authority to solve debts to creditors, right? But it was backed by an asset, gold, gold in right. the Fed, and you could go and you could. If you did not want that dollar, you could exchange it for gold. Now, when the Great Depression happened, what's really funny is that, like, because of competing political uh, histories from political ideologies, we have this sort of, like, I think, like, the common sense understanding of how we got out of the Great Depression depends on whether you think it was the New Deal and trying to do federal maximum employment or if you think it had to do with a wartime economy, which I think if you think it's economy you're probably more right wing mm -hmm. left wing sure yeah new deal i think it's a fair characterization the consensus with economists was it was the emergency act in 1933 that basically 
the dollar against gold for domestic affairs. That it was a domestic um, break with the gold standard. And the reason why is because depression, there was incredible deflationary pressure, which uh, people really wanted the dollar, but they couldn't get it. And for so long, they couldn't give more dollars because it was tied to gold. So mm-hmm. they just said, fuck it, we're going to completely devalue it against gold. And instead of the dollar being able to return it and get gold in exchange, it's going to be backed by securities and treasury bills and things mm-hmm. like that from that the Fed holds. And this Because this the is... Fed's balance sheet is basically like um, the money, the dollar bills that are out are liabilities to them. And right. it equals the amount of assets they have um, that they hold in terms of uh, the securities they hold. And just to keep the timeline clear, all this is happening yeah. in 1933. Yeah. So this okay. is like the big break. That happens. And it's um, money. They were able to get a lot more money out. And one thing that we know is it's called the Phillips curve. The inflation rate is tied to unemployment. Mm-hmm. The higher the inflation rate, the lower the employment. Um, obviously, that becomes untenable at some point because, you know, if you get too much employment, which is kind of weird, if you get too much employment, inflation gets runaway. So there's always like a natural because rate of people employment. have more spending power. Is that the yeah? Basically, like if everyone has jobs, they can like you know you need to uh, the labor market becomes scarcer, and so right. employers have to hire. They have to um, propose higher wages to attract people. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, money starts to become just like runaway inflation. You basically. think I'm too employed? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, basically, uh, that was sort of like the fear. But they went ahead and um, by making money more or less scarce. They're able to lower the employment rate. And then the other factors came into play, but that is considered like, that was like a in central banking in the American system. Right. Um, and it had to do with better centralization predominantly. So right. let's go to the, the financial crisis, for instance. You're talking now, about 2008. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, because I bought Bitcoin like the year it came out or whatever, like the year after or whatever, I think. Or maybe maybe it was a couple years after. But I remember like what you said about the financial crisis. That was like part of the whole thing. Right. But it's also kind of, when it comes to centralization, it's also kind of a confusing reason. Because if you look at what caused the crisis, it was mostly a regulatory factor, right? Right, yes. It was... Because of the Fed going to Congress and lobbying for like massive bailouts and then tons of money by buying all these securities and issuing loans they normally wouldn't have had and quantitative yeah. easing, that they were able to take lessons from the Great Depression and massively throw a con- like money in because they recognized it. We didn't recognize it in the Great Depression, but we recognize these huge recessionary problems as liquidity crises. Yeah. And it's the central bank that can determine whether we're in a liquidity crisis or not. So, so something based- really quickly, something that I want to bring up, um, and, and I, I think this is something that we'll probably discuss more down the road, maybe even in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that your fundamental approach to I'm trying to think, figure out the, the white, right way to approach this. I think that the narrative and people's uh, intuitive response to these crises is significantly more important uh, than the actual economic basis that triggers the crises. Does it's that definitely sense? a factor. Yeah, for sure. And especially, and- but especially when you're talking about, and, and people who are um, like people that are very, very, very smart and involved in Bitcoin uh, openly admit the, the value of the Bitcoin network is predicated on its adoption rate. Right. So that's what I, in this specific right. And we'll instance, get to that. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, I think it's important to note that regardless of whether or not like Bitcoin actually solves a problem, the, the problem that uh, the, the regulatory issues that led to the global financial crisis that was caused by uh-huh. the, the collapse of the mortgage market, um, it's visibility and the timing of it is extremely important because it, it creates a narrative that people uh, who are looking for uh, looking for a store of value asset are ready to very willing to buy into. Uh, whether I, I'm sure you have some some thoughts on that, whether that's nefarious mm. or not. Personally, I I don't because um, I, I don't think there's nefarious intent there, but uh, it, it's definitely worth noting. But c- continue with what you're saying. Well, I guess I'm bringing this all to the point where um, 
the central banks are very concerned basically about how much money is in the money supply right because it can solve crises it can mm-hmm. they're very concerned about price stability it's one of the mandates of central banks and so being able to have stable markets is like what they do and a market is only you want to have basically enough money and the money supply such that it matches the productive capacity of the economy that's an oversimplification but the idea is like okay if there's a lot of demand for money mm-hmm. but that demand goes to like speculative investments that like don't lead anywhere just like ideas that actually aren't valuable to society you can have um you can have crashes right because right? the, 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 like, the monetary oh, energy is then sort of trapped in speculative bubbles that may or may not produce anything is that your exactly but then also if you have a lot of demand for money that could go to creating value but you don't match it yeah right then you're not have you're putting a deflationary pressure on the economy which can also cause a crash right and depending on that market you know it depends on basically the potential like the actual like what could actually become useful or not what can actually create value or not and that's kind of dependent on history wherever you're at in the historical moment that's basically the crux of why i don't think the centralist argument is works because i think ultimately it's going to be very difficult and i don't think the bitcoin mining solves the issue of being able to determine um the historical economy we're in such that we can and have a enough money in that it resembles the amount of productive capacity there actually is that so are you so this is this is an important uh sort of point of this conversation uh and going back to my initial question how is it that you perceive bitcoin are you are you are you under the assumption that it should its intent is to replace fiat currency or no well i don't i mean maybe in um by virtue of it be calling a cryptocurrency, I have, mm-hmm. I understand that like a lot of people that trade Bitcoin or see a future in it are kind of abandoned the idea of it being an actual currency. Yes. Um, and I do like, to, I would like to like um, engage with that idea more from people who are, yeah. who think like that. But I ultimately think that um, in terms of what the blockchain technology is capable of versus the way that the Bitcoin is basically outside of centralization powers um, creates, it, it could be used for better uses and ultimately will be discovered by um, people who already issue currencies, governments, I think. I mean, like the, the optimistic side of me sees that basically um, there's so, a lot of value in it and the reason why people are really interested in Bitcoin to me is the potential for the technology okay. I kind of see it as like you know we you know the first personal computer that wasn't the, where we ended up at right we figured no, out the things, not, yeah. useful things we could and what's so great about cryptocurrencies is like a technology there's so many different things we could do with it that settling on a version that seems to also not accomplish the currency aspect of it to me seems like it's going to be replaced but that's so, just my feeling on it so my perception and still having a market forever in yeah. other cases especially the fact that it's anonymous my you know, i think there's a right so it's hard to yeah. say it would ever go away yeah, yeah yeah my my perception the perception of virtually everybody that i know in this space that, that's working closely with bitcoin uh, and the perception of most institutional investors at this point uh, and most of the people that run exchanges and most of the public figures in, in crypto is that Bitcoin uh, and this narrative has, has existed since the, the inception of Bitcoin. It's not a new narrative. Uh, Bitcoin is the premier store value asset uh, because it is so uncompromising in in its ability to be what I believe to be close to perfect store of value, store of value. Um, when you say that uh, the blockchain technology can be used for better or has better use cases, um, I, I guess my question would be like, by what metric? Better by what metric? Um, yeah, so a lot of this has to do with like the research that like uh, central banks are using for their own uh, potential coins. Like China has their own uh, issued their own um, 
coin out of their own central bank. The digital yuan, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, that's like basically what a dollar is. It's it's a, a note that's backed by the federal right. reserve or whatever central bank we're talking about. Yeah. So there's some really good uses in terms of, um, obviously, transaction costs could be almost depleted, basically, with digital currency. And that's with, like... With central bank-backed digital currencies, you mean? Yeah, general, because... Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, like things like speed use are going to need to be solved. But I, I used to like think those were going to be like hard limit factors. I don't anymore. I'm sure no, the technology is yeah. going to advance. Yeah. Um, you already have and, networks like Nano where uh, transactions. I, I'm not saying that Nano is is a, by any means a, a good product or worth investing in, but its transactions are functionally speed of light uh, and costless and lossless. So yeah, we're, I, we're I, already there. Basically, we're already yeah. yeah. I, like once I realized that wasn't going to be. And that was things like when I was like only understood this as Bitcoin. Those were things yeah. where I did think they were going to be like hard factors. But obviously, there's a lot of interest, and I, I do think that interest comes from a very big potential for what crypto could be. Yeah. But I don't think the decentralization part is going to allow things like reaching the unbanked that you could do with um, central back coins. Being so able to eliminate transaction fees like these things are like there's a lot of research that looks into like we could like almost double the growth of the economy just by getting rid of some stuff like that did my um, camera just knock out yeah a stupid usb thing uh, i'm not worried about it it's as long as you can still hear me it's fine yeah i hear you um so i guess my my retort to that would be something like bitcoin doesn't actually need to be it's uh the inefficiency of his, I'm using air quotes here, which you can't see because my webcam <laughs> is a piece of shit. The inefficiency of the Bitcoin network is driven by the fact that it's it's based on proof of work, right? You have to, you have to, you necessarily have to expend a, a certain amount of energy in order to validate the transactions and then subsequently mint more Bitcoin. And I think that's fundamentally a, a good thing because it's, there are, uh, there are other, like propositions which which sort of seek to address those inefficiencies like proof of stake um which is maybe an oversimplification but it's it's more like uh the risk that's associated with proof of stake is not uh prior energy expenditure but uh like future capital risk if that makes sense um but the the thing is bitcoin is other other technologies other blockchain technologies will be able to do things like transact faster, uh, mm -hmm. transact more efficiently, but they do so at those, those come with compromises and they do come at a cost. Bitcoin is, uh, to me, the, it, the reason that it's the premium store of value asset besides its adoption rate, which is, is, is immense at this point, it's captured, uh, the, the market capitalization of Bitcoin as of today is over a trillion dollars. Um, the the reason that it's the best store of value asset is because it's uncompromising in all of these things it doesn't seek to be the the fastest most transactable currency it's digital gold effectively it's it's a sort of it it, it occupies a very similar space to gold technologically where uh for several thousand years humans have generally agreed upon gold as being like a store of value right um except Bitcoin is better than gold in every way, uh, other than the fact that it, you know, you can't, it doesn't have like, uh, commodity usability. It's not like a, like a capital good, but you can, it can't be seized. You can transact with it instantly, uh, or I mean near instantly, which is good enough. Um, it's safe, it's secure, it's validated by every node in the network. You can't fraud a Bitcoin transaction. Um, it's been around for over a decade. It's never been hacked. Uh, so in addition to its uncompromisingness, it's also proven itself over the last 12 years in a way that no other cryptocurrency has. Uh, it's my belief that it'll continue to do so and it will continue to remain the premier store of value asset. And that's my approach. That's that's sort of my understanding of Bitcoin. So you're, are you saying because of its like security, that's what makes it premier store of value 
Because to me, it seems like the volatility is the main issue why it is not. I mean, the biggest store of value is the federal the U.S. dollar, actually, like um, in terms of how much but of anything is owned. Right? The U.S. dollar is subject to like a central banking authority, which can in, in theory, it's, you know, the inflationary pressure of the dollar is managed uh but in actual like there's nothing really stopping the fed from just printing all day long you know what i mean and so for people that are concerned with their the actual spending power of the dollar in the near term uh it makes sense you know if like uh like we're, we're approaching negative yield bonds um so like bonds start to make less sense as a store of value for an average person um the stock market is inherently volatile uh, and requires, you know, sort of great under a, a great deal of understanding and uh, the knowledge that you're never going to be able to compete with actual professional investors. Um, Bitcoin is is meant to be a savings vehicle that happens to appreciate very rapidly. So its historical volatility is uh, it's very hard to ex <laughs> it's very hard to explain because I, I guess in some in some sense it does require like. Uh, faith or at least like i have a i have faith in it that i'm not able to articulate completely um but i i don't see because because bitcoin is already uh it's reached the position that it's at this year and last year it's gained more uh institutional interest than it ever has um and because it's perfectly scarce right there will only ever be 21 million bitcoins and beyond that the very last bitcoin will be mind in you know something like uh a hundred years um it's the the built-in deflationary measures are brilliant in a way that no other cryptocurrency is capturing and even if somebody made a perfect clone of bitcoin that had higher uh like transactability it was more um like more liquid or could transact more efficiently with it at this point i think the adoption rate of bitcoin is so high that there will be no competition for it does that make sense well i guess the competition would be other currencies though right like if you can't trade in bitcoin all right so there's also geopolitical like realism here mm -hmm. which is that if bitcoin became too much of a threat and you do see this in some places countries would stop allowing it to be used at all right yeah, it happened, happened in nigeria happened in india yeah and the reason why that's the case is because currencies are very related to the government's ability to borrow right, right. so there's always going to be a sense where there's going to be a natural limit just because bitcoin doesn't have any sovereignty right like there's always going to be a point where there's going to be legal systems in place where it's going to check it in case it got too much adoption in a sense or got too much if that there, makes sense right there, there you can put regulatory pressure on bitcoin but because of its mobility if you know let's say the united states bans bitcoin the sale of bitcoin outright which is a sort of a preposterous like consideration of this i just don't think it's going to happen um, i mean i don't think it'll happen yeah either but uh but let's say it ha let's say tomorrow they say you know exchanges are no longer allowed to sell bitcoin blah 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 um Anybody who owns a significant amount of Bitcoin is just going to, it's, it's mobile. This, this, what, what happened immediately after, and it was actually in a discussion, uh, I, I almost ended up, <laughs> I was ended up making uh, a trade with some, some folks from Nigeria. Um, immediately after Bitcoin was banned in Nigeria, uh, Nigerian Bitcoin investors were buying Bitcoin at 30% above market rate. Right. It's, its mobility protects it from regulation because there's always going to be a Monaco. There's always going to be a Belize. There's always going to be a place where I can take my Bitcoin immediately. Right. There's no, it's not like gold where, you know, if you own That's true too, yeah. whatever the equivalent, let's say I have like 200, like 2000 pounds of gold bullion. I can't move mm. that. But if I have 2000 Bitcoins, I can get on a plane tomorrow, sell it and come back to whatever my country of residence is. So it's very, it's extraordinarily difficult to regulate, which uh, makes it, again, this is a, just another proposition for why it's such a good store of value asset. Yeah, I guess, like, to me, the arguments for, like, um, the security to me seem a little, uh, like, 
exaggerate not exaggerate because it's not this not that the technology isn't secure but that when we're looking at like large there's not like a large amount of wealth that is like constantly being defrauded at all times right like there are assets that i mean there's a reason why like gold isn't like the most bought asset right now right like financial instruments that can like generate value or um governments that have like very high or very low risk of defaulting mm-hmm. tend to be where like a lot of wealth is actually stored I've got, i guess i just like i'm to me it seems like because it's so unregulated it actually i would like i would have to understand how the the fact that there is no regulation makes it so that there's a and that the use case of it isn't necessarily to it, it's a it, you're saying it's a store value it's not necessarily to like be a currency yeah like the goal is never for bitcoin to, the goal is never for me to be able to go to starbucks and buy a cup of coffee with bitcoin i'm not saying it can't happen it's where i think we're yeah. actually there's layer two solutions like lightning which uh, maybe maybe won't be super awesome to get into on on this and i'm not super well versed on them but um, there are there are second layer solutions for Bitcoin that actually make it much more efficient to transact with. So like uh, Lightning, the Lightning Network is something that's in development right now. I think there's practical use cases already um, where you have the same transactability and extraordinarily low or zero transaction fees uh, okay. that you would with a currency like Nano or uh, or any of the other cryptocurrency like Litecoin that are designed to yeah. be transacted with. So there are what what are called layer two solutions for Bitcoin that actually improve efficiencies to make it equivalent to other, it, it get, to give it capacity uh, right. that it doesn't necessarily currently have. Um, and it, I think a common misconception about Bitcoin too is that uh, well, the core, like the fundamental framework of Bitcoin can't be altered. There is a core dev team uh, and upgrades, there right. actually an upgrade was just made to Bitcoin this week called Taproot. That's been the biggest up, upgrade in something like two or four years. Um, so, but those upgrades are generally to, uh, they don't change, again, they don't change the fundamentals of Bitcoin. They just either improve security uh, or improve efficiency, or these are things that happen on layer two that aren't like parts of the actual Bitcoin network. Mm-hmm. So technologically, I, I don't I don't necessarily want to get into that right now. I'm not. Oh, yeah. Person. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess but, for me, I do see a future where, it would be amazing if we could use crypto to pay for things. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't seem like that's kind of what I came prepared to talk about, but it seems like what you're talking about more is it being like a kind of digital gold. Exactly. Yes. Which, which um, Bitcoin specifically, I'm not saying all crypto has to be digital gold. In right. fact, because Bitcoin is so good at it, no other currency, no other crypto has to do it. They can all do other fun things or, you know, other ge- genuinely revolutionary things. Um, they don't have to be perfect because Bitcoin already is. That's that's kind of my core assumption. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see that being the case. I just don't see it being like, if that makes sense. If it's just sure. all it is, is like a digital. Because um, if people ran away from Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have like, I guess, I mean, I guess the at least with gold or something, right? Like it's, it's it has um, kind of, it seems to me you can make a better case for its inherent value. You could make a better case for the inherent value of gold, but the reality is that we don't trade, you know, people who buy and sell gold as a store of value. They're not, it's, it's price isn't based on its usability, right? In, in like for- no for actually, you know, for making conductors or, or anything like that. That's not what the, the price of gold bullion is not rooted in its practical use. Right. So I guess I think- for me, it gets confusing though, because you see like a lot of people like trying to make Bitcoin ATMs and like utilize Bitcoins and their trading platforms and things like that, where it seems it really is trying to build an infrastructure to be used as a currency. And so a lot of the institutional support is there to create the infrastructure for a kind of cryptocurrency right. environment that's eventually going to exist. Yeah. And um, I think that's that's a totally fair like uh, understanding to have. But I, the reality is 
people that are deeply involved with Bitcoin are not trading with it. They're not selling it. They're not seeking to exchange it for fiat currency or other cryptocurrencies. Uh, the people that are deeply involved with Bitcoin, uh, and, I, and I include myself in that category, are not selling. They're, they're just holding. They're purchasing as much as they can and they're holding onto it very much like a gold bug would um, because it's, it's, what, it's, it's what we believe to be, again, the premium store of value asset. It protects our savings against inflationary pressure of the dollar. It, it protects our savings against, you know, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not trading like involatility like with, with uh, stocks or, uh, you know, we're not like engaging with uh, what's the options and what, what's the word that I'm thinking of? Derivatives markets, right? It's, it's for people that really want like a very solid, a fundamentally sound savings model. That's, uh, that's what you'll find in most of the hardcore Bitcoiners, the Bitcoin like, mm-hmm. maximalists. They're, the Bitcoin maximalists generally are not like, this is the future of currency. I'm going to like spit Bitcoin. Will well, get, here's the problem with this. That is volatile though. Like I know, I understand what you're saying that over the long term, it keeps growing. So as long as yeah. you just keep holding it, eventually you'll be able to get out. But like, yeah. that's, there's a billion cases at every moment where somebody needs to get out now. Of course. And, and anything that's super volatile, even if it has long-term growth, growth potential is, um, can be an issue for a store value. If you need to get liquid right away, which happens all the time. Right. Sure. I but think you, that's, you that's the basically same something. That's the reason why, like, um, bonds are so safe is because there's an there's entire uh global centralization systems that are designed basically to make sure that it's not going to collapse they're they're safe in the sense of like low volatility but they're also uh low yield especially right now uh and they're subject to central banking authorities of which like and this is another another thing that we sort of briefly touched on um, Bitcoin flourishes in situations where there is a lot of institutional distrust. And I can't think of a time that I've been alive where there's more, other than maybe 2008, where there's more institutional distrust than there is right now in this historical moment. So um, it, Bitcoin seems to me to be in this, in the, in the, the economic and political environment that we currently exist in, especially in the United mm-hmm. States, um, poised to continue to flourish uh, and, in a, in a very real sense, I won't say capitalize on that distrust, but uh, gives people the opportunity to shelter themselves from it. It, it gives you a, a way to actionably shield yourself from what you believe to be bad faith actors in, in that have power over you, that have real legitimate political power over mm-hmm. you. It gives your it gives your it, it gives the average person a mechanism by which they can defend themselves from that. Uh, that happens to also be a safe store of value, which I think is great. Like, I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. On the flip side, public sentiment switches all the time. And, sure, yeah. Uh, that's the kind of argument that you would hear that boosted other types of bubbles, right? Like, similar language was used in the dot-com bubble. Like, this is, like, the kind of thing that cannot fail because yeah. there's so much, you know, and then eventually and it, it does. I think it's naive to think that Bitcoin can't fail. There's certainly situations where... It's it's just about measuring the likelihood, right? But this is, I mean, like, there's, I mean, for one, I think, like, you can be really smart about investing in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I think what you're talking about, I just, like, I don't buy the store of value argument, but I buy the, like, it's a good thing to do with your money right now argument. Okay, that's fair. So I don't, like, I don't see enough widespread security issues among the giant the ginormous amount of wealth that exists in the world to warrant the security argument. Although I do think it's a good thing and it will only improve uh, the technology itself will only improve. Right. So I, 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 in a way I buy it, but I don't buy it specifically for Bitcoin because I think a lot of the store value part is the fact that you need to have monetary policy to protect um, against a rapid price fluctuations at all times and i i think that um it isn't necessarily it's an invent i mean like you at some point you have to classify whether something's a store of value because um you can reasonably rely on being able to 
uh, get it for what you put into it mm-hmm. or get more out of it or whatever. Right. But if it's um, at some point, if it, you know, the time scale of what that be large, it just becomes like a really good speculative investment. I think that's, that's, a, that's a really fair it, assessment. Yeah. So like, this is one of the like almost philosophical things I wanted to come to with this conversation is that yeah. I find that um, people have sometimes a hard time separating a kind of intuitive, I mean, like a fairly kind of benign idea, which is that there's um, economics is not in, right. When you're thinking about um, the, the thoughts that go into, like they seem like the same thing in a way because they both deal with money. But because you have to think about um, how these work, mm-hmm. um, if you're in that mindset, you're not necessarily in a mindset of knowing how to make money in that environment, right? Because if you're thinking from the economic viewpoint, it's about stability of markets and growth and the creation of value. And to me, when you're investing, it's Okay. okay so when, so um when it comes to when you're thinking about economics right like it's about creating markets that uh create value and growth and those are kind of the instability those are the things you're looking at it's to like investing you're not looking at the thing that helps make value and stable economies and stable politics, global trade, you're looking at as like a source of liberation, right? At least I do, where it's like, oh, like I live in a world where I experience barriers to entry at all possible moments. And the more I have of money, the more I can get away from that. Now, I think when it comes, like what I see in the Bitcoin conversation is that People have found a great way to make money. Am I losing you again? You there? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I don't know what this stupid ass webcam. Continue. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I see and it's specific to Bitcoin, but it's just something I notice a lot where um, it's clearly a great way to make money right now. Like I don't think that's debatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and things like more and more people are thinking that. Um, but the arguments I hear a lot have to do are basically not arguments to invest in it because of um, of the speculative part of it, but because of the, the use cases of it, if right. that makes sense, which are generally supposed to give economic stability in a different way, or it's supposed to solve issues in economics that it doesn't it seems serving more to make the investment more valuable as opposed to the arguments actually being sound, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's not like, I think you do that with, I mean, that's how you basically have to hype up a lot of things, you know? And that's, Um, that's, that's sort of built into Bitcoin. So in, in the actual white, have you, you haven't read the Bitcoin white paper, have you? I did the year. Yeah. Okay. No, anymore. In the white paper, um, something that's explicitly discussed is that sort of like viral feedback loop where, uh-huh. uh, you know, people adopt Bitcoin. Uh, this drives value towards Bitcoin. People see the values being driven towards Bitcoin, which further uh, increases its adoption rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens sort of uh, maybe not exponentially, but it's like clearly it's almost it's almost linear at this point. And the, the cycles of like the boom bust cycles of Bitcoin over the last 12 years have been fairly predictable. Um, things have the last year, year and a half or so, things have changed pretty radically in that regard because of the level of institutional adoption that happened in 2020, where, you know, you saw the price climb from when I purchased my, my first Bitcoin. And, and I, I purchased Bitcoin for the very first time in like 2013. Um, it was not for this particular use case. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But um, but now uh, I purchased it for the first time immediately uh, before the election when it was about $13,000. And then, you know, it seems like overnight, you know, we're here we are like eight months later and it's touching 60000 and it's 
been hovering around 60,000 for the last month and a half. Um, obviously like a month and a half is a very short time scale for, for any kind of investment. Um, but it's clear that the, the, the viral, like the, that looping mechanism of increased adoption, which was predicted in the Bitcoin white paper is coming to fruition in a very real way. Um, and so I think there's actually an argument for, uh, stability in what appears to be like on its face it looks like extreme volatility uh when in fact it's actually a very predictable curve of adoption uh so that i guess that's that's probably the best counterpoint that i have to to what you're talking yeah. about i'm not sure how convincing that is um but it's because it's it's fairly predictable uh and because number only go up um yeah <laughs> <laughs> number will only continue to go up <laughs> And I guess for me, I just, um, I have a belief that, you know, well, okay. So I think like 75% of Bitcoin is retail investment, right? Uh, I actually, I, that is actually information that I don't have access to, but I yeah, believe I, that it's true. I think I read that somewhere. And um, it's hard to be like, I mean, like if there's demand for it, the price is going to go up. And I think that there is... Um, a lot of interest in what cryptocurrency can do. Yeah. And I think that Bitcoin may always be around in some sense because it was the, the lot of what this technology can do. Yeah. And so absolutely. there'll be a structure around it. You know, you have to think like, why is poker the most like popular card game? Right. Mm -hmm. Like at some level it's like, there's demand to play poker. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of other card games, but like that one, for whatever reason, it has an infrastructure around it that people are always going to want to bet on. Yeah. You know, and I do think that with, I mean, obviously, like Bitcoin's not a card game, but it is something that will, you know, is going to have a ton of infrastructure around it that isn't necessarily going to collapse Um because it does have uses, I think. Like, there's always going to be some sort of market for non anonymity, anonymity. Anonymity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it. There are. Um, there's always, like you're saying, like regardless if you um, have, uh, regardless if it's not going to be like the currency of the world or whatever. Like, there's always going to be people who are going to be drawn to its like, um, its mobilized nature highly mobile and and highly, highly read upon but i think the mobility is going to get solved with other currencies i guess other digital currencies i don't think uh, that's necessarily going to be and we're already there that, like it, i'm yeah. not saying that that mobility is unique to bitcoin in any sense yeah um but you know as of let's just say as of today like let's say an ounce of gold is worth $60,000 uh and you need to move 100 pounds of it it's really hard it's really 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 yeah. hard like you can't put 100 pounds of gold on an airplane like you, it's how are you going to do it? You're going to ship it and pay. Yeah. You know, then you're just paying thousands of dollars just to like ship your, the marginal quantity of, it's just not like, there's nothing about that that's worth it. So yeah. um, because of, let's just say the argument there is just because of Bitcoin's current value, it's, it's extraordinarily highly valued. I think it will continue to be, I think in all honesty, I, you know, there's the, the like the real hardcore Bitcoin maximalists that think Bitcoin is going to capture uh, all of the store value asset market cap. I think it's a little bit far-fetched because that's something like $100 <laughs> trillion. Um, but I think there's a very realistic scenario where it captures $10 trillion, which is the current market capitalization of gold, uh, $20 trillion. And then you're talking $20 trillion. I think you're talking about million dollars of Bitcoin. Like it's, you know, it's not that far-fetched. Um, when is it supposed to stop mining? Or is that like they figured out they shouldn't do that? The projected, the projected end date, like the projected last... Uh, block is sometime in like 2111 or something okay so it's, it's, it's we're so very yeah. very far away yeah because like way sooner like i feel like there's this understanding that like that needs to not happen in a way well like, always... do, you, do you know the having mechanic are you familiar with that uh no, tell me so the the one of the fundamental in addition to bitcoin having a cap supply of 21 million um, uh -huh. about every four years, it's, I think it's specifically when a certain number of blocks have been mined, but it happens about every four years. Um, uh, an event called the halving occurs and it, uh, reduces, you know, it, it cuts the amount of Bitcoin that's awarded for completing a block in half. Simple mm -hmm. as that. So when Bitcoin was, the Bitcoin project was first launched, I think 
uh, hashing one block of like solving one block of Bitcoin was produced 16 Bitcoins. Uh, now it's like half a Bitcoin. Uh, and that that's linear. It'll continue. To okay. Change. Yeah. And additionally, on top of that, another part of the the well, the, the, co the co calculations get harder. Yes. Like every okay. every the calculations are they don't necessarily get harder, but every two weeks, um, the total computational power of the network is sort of uh, like calculated, and then uh -huh. the difficulty of the the hashes is then adjusted based on that total computational power. Oh, okay, that's cool. So like something that's really common uh, that people are worried about for some reason, even though we're potentially, you know, decades or hundreds of years away from like functional quantum computing. Um, let's say we solve quantum computing tomorrow. Uh, uh -huh. The It doesn't mean that Bitcoin will be like, it doesn't mean that blocks will be solved uh, like instantly like invalidate Bitcoin because blocks are gonna be solved at, at an extraordinarily high rate. Uh, uh -huh. The difficulty, the computational difficulty of solving those hashes will adjust based on the overall computational power of the network. So that quantum. Oh, uh, I hear you. It'll then actually, it'll... though, to to be fair, um, Goldman Sachs thinks that going to be quantum computing in the financial market in like ten years because you don't need an entirely functional right. quantum computer. You only need Google already has a a functional quantum computer with something like fifty three or fifty four qubits. Uh, like yeah, exist. I think you only need a fraction for that for finance. I think that's what's going to sure, be crazy yeah. about it. I think I, I I could be wrong. I think the number is like five or something. It's, it's going to be like yeah, <laughs> no, it's going to be I like that's a whole other topic I'd like to get into at some point. Sure, um, yeah. What I know a little more about it, but because yeah, that is really exciting. <laughs> that could like really change things. The last thing that I want to talk about, just because we're kind of running up on time here, um, uh -huh. uh, and I know this is a huge concern of yours because you're you're uh, like a, a huge climate change advocate um the energy expenditure of the bitcoin network i'm sure you have some concerns about that it's a really common uh like criticism of bitcoin so i'm kind of curious where you stand on that um well yeah i don't like it <laughs> it seems like a, it seems like all that like productive power could be used for something else um and i think i guess you just have to understand from like my point of view um i think that like well, I guess if we're just only talking about Bitcoin, it's hard, but I think a lot of that stuff is going to be, um, if it's too much of a problem, it's eventually just going to be a lot more difficult to mine, I think. So be a lot more, because countries will start, like, I mean, if you look at, like, if I guess if we're talking about 2100 with Bitcoin, we can talk a little bit in the future. Yeah. Um, but if you see an environment where, um, we start really taxing energy use more or if it's if it can't be and I don't know like all the specifics like maybe they're like eventually gonna be ways where you can power it all with green technology and it won't be an issue or something and about, that could be about 70% the, of the Bitcoin network is actually powered by renewables yeah so like I could just see that like not necessarily like maybe it's not even gonna be harder to mine it's just like other outside environmental factors yeah. economic environmental factors are going to just like everything else push people to uh, renewables and green energy technologies. Yeah. Um, Cause it'll Absolutely. just be, because the, the, there's a price to pay for using that power to make Bitcoin. And if it becomes taxed and it becomes um, too expensive to do it in those ways, people will just innovate and find other ways to do it. Yeah. So I don't like the power being used for just to do this thing that seems like it could be mind in less uh inefficient ways but eventually i think it's not going to be like a like a deal breaker or anything right that yeah. makes sense so something uh, i'm not sure if this is like something that you're aware of or familiar with you you probably actually know a lot more about energy and renewables renewables infrastructure than i do um, but like the global net energy production of the, the of the world is something like 150,000 terawatt hours per year. Okay. And about 50,000 of that is waste energy. Uh, the Bitcoin network altogether, like in in its totality, only consumes 100. I say only. It's a lot of energy, yeah. but it only it, it consumes 120 terawatt hours of energy. So 120, not 120,000, obviously. So yeah. it consumes like a fraction of a fraction. You know, something like. 20% of 1% of the waste energy uh, globally. So yeah. I think what we'll actually see, um, especially as Bitcoin continues to increase in, in value, 
is that the operational expenditure of Bitcoin is going to start to outweigh the capital expenditure of like beginning becoming a miner. Um, yeah, because of energy costs. And I think that's actually going to drive exactly like you said, it's a going to drive more and more Bitcoiners, uh, Bitcoin miners uh, towards renewables, but it may actually result in the creation of new renewables infrastructure that wasn't previously there because um, let's say we do approach that hypothetical uh, 10 $20 trillion market capitalization um, nations, actual countries are going to be heavily incentivized to start mining Bitcoin. Um, and you actually already see that in states like Wyoming. Um, uh-huh. where, uh, Cynthia Loomis, I, I don't, I don't remember if she's like the Senator or the governor of, <laughs> of Wyoming, but, um, she's, uh, actually proposing legislation, uh, for like Bitcoin miners to move to Wyoming and use their, like their waste renewable energy basically. And I think oh. you're actually, you're actually going to start to see a lot more of that, uh, in, in the near future it's happening everywhere. Yeah. Um, I know I like in- it. That optimistic view of it. That isn't crazy. That it yeah, doesn't yeah, seem yeah. like I mean that that's just generally how like innovation works. I mean course, like yeah. I think it's like you know it would be cool if that all used to solve other problems, but I also don't have any examples of what it could be doing off the top of my head. That's and another long, common, it, Yeah, like I feel a, like that's like one of those things where it's like a complaint, but I'm also like never gonna like leverage it right or I'm not going to right now because I don't know that much about what it could be used for except so there, for like gaming there, i guess like so who can't? there well there's blockchains like uh i think even like dogecoin as, as silly as it is uh-huh. uh where i think that uh, maybe it's not dogecoin because i don't think you can mine dogecoin i think it's a litecoin fork but what some cryptocurrency the the equations that are used to uh like solve the blocks are actually it's like protein folding um which then yeah, can, I've heard of that. Be I've used, heard yeah. that. Yeah. So like, there's a, there are use cases like that. The reason that I but that's don't think blockchain that's, again, right? Like, yeah. I'm really positive about the introduction of blockchain. Into I think that, I think financial we will, markets. Con- like, will continue yeah. to see use cases like that. I think the reason that Bitcoin doesn't do that again because it's uncompromising, um, and this is like maybe maybe kind of a specious argument, but if let's say that like uh, let's say it's protein folding or something, right? If the processing power that, that is being used, uh, that's being donated to the Bitcoin network to produce Bitcoins, if it becomes more profitable to do that secondary effect of the processing power, in this case, you know, protein folding, let's maybe say like some lab offers you, uh, let's say you're a Bitcoin miner and one unit only produces like a 16th of a Bitcoin a year and some lab yeah. offers you, they say, if you donate your processing yeah. power to us, we'll give you $50,000 a year, uh, then obviously, you know, the the best case scenario there is for the miner to then donate their processing power towards protein folding or whatever the yeah. other secondary use case might be. So I think that's another that's that's another reason. Theoretically, why that could happen Bitcoin, right now, though. I mean, you could just look at places that have a lot of processing power and be like, hey, like for this investment, switch over to this thing that we need to be doing. Like that already seems like something that could happen. And the fact that it's not is already maybe like a use case where there's not that much demand for that kind of capacity or there's not a, you know, people clamoring current, for you. In current that. demand, certainly not. Future demand, very possible. Yeah. You never know, especially, so, with, you know, like pharmaceutical technology and like phar- pharmaceuticals have tons of money to throw at projects like that. So you never yeah. know. And that's, that's another, like, that's just another, most of the Bitcoin mining machines are like very specifically designed to mine, like they're ASIC mining. They're, it, the S in ASIC literally stands for specialized. That's what the units are for. So okay. it's 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 key to Bitcoin's particular use case that uh, that the the equations to solve the blockchain are not for anything else. But yeah, that, that's cool. I've never heard that argument, and it's not like outlandish. So I don't think I have anything else to. I mean, I have a lot to say about Bitcoin. I love Bitcoin. Um, I won't go to, yeah. as far as to say as like change my life, but uh, I really really. really <laughs> I, I said I won't. I won't go that far, but I will. Uh, uh, I, I really do appreciate it. I think it's a beautiful project. I think it's a beautiful thing for people to be able to have sovereignty over their own wealth uh, in a way that hasn't necessarily been possible before. And um, I'm sort of just coming into the realization of of the beauty of that and how important it is for people to, um, in a very real, literal sense, achieve financial independence, uh, not just from. Uh, you know, not just financial financial independence in the sense of being able to do what you want, but uh, to have true sovereignty over your money is is a really really cool idea. But at the same time, it eventually, if you want to buy things in actual sovereign nations, it'll have to be converted into 
currency that can be used to solve by debts, the time right? by the time i'm letting go of my bitcoin i'm just gonna buy a house with it baby people <laughs> i think we'll reach a point where you can you'll be able to where are you gonna buy the house <laughs> in on my on uh, jeffrey epstein's island <laughs> <laughs> oh poor bill gates he's losing his wife over uh, he's having a cool friend i feel you <laughs> <laughs> that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen always gets me hanging out with the boys. Now I know, now I know exactly <laughs> how Bill feels. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's it for now. Uh, yeah. But I love you, cuz. And uh, love you we, too. we'll end the episode with a customary kiss. Mm -hmm. Mwah. Mwah. At least we can see each other when we kiss this time a little bit. <laughs>